Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode brought to you by our sponsor, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness, who we featured on episode 145. Now, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that Jeremy helped me get in the best shape of my life in 2022, and he's helping me push that even further in 2023. So if you're working on your health and fitness goals this year, I encourage you to put Jeremy in your corner. I guarantee he will help you reach your goals in 2023. There are links in the show notes to find all of his services. I'm also excited to announce the new sponsor on the show, the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Now, if you watch these episodes on YouTube, you will see one of their flags behind me in the studio. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I really can't recommend them enough. So go to SasquatchFlags.com and check out all of their unique designs. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you to check out the leadership books I've written on either Amazon or my website, JohnSRenny.com. This year, I'm offering a new way to purchase all of my books for a discount. I've bundled the books into what I call the Qualified Watchstander Series, and you get all three books for 15% off the individual prices. This offer is only available on my website, so check it out if you're looking to step up your leadership game this year. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about grit, and my guest is Shannon Huffman Polson. She became one of the first women to fly Apache helicopters in the U.S. Army. The lessons she learned by dominating in this highly competitive environment can be directly applied to our lives as well. Now, this was a powerful conversation that I know is going to help you be more successful. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Shannon Huffman Polson. Shannon is a leadership speaker, author, and founder of the Grit Institute. She is a U.S. Army veteran who became one of the first women to fly Apache helicopters. She is the author of The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience, and Leadership 
in the most male-dominated organization in the world. And I'm excited to have her on the show to talk about how to harness grit to transform your own life and career. So Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, John. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on the show. And, I, and I'm really interested in, in hearing your story, your journey, and how grit helped you get through some really difficult things that you did uh, in your life. So let's just dive right in. Uh, tell us about your background. You know, you served in the Army. You flew Apache helicopters, which is a rare thing for women to do at the time. Uh, tell us about that experience. And what did you learn about yourself from your time in the service? Yeah, that's. Um, I, I feel like that would be a very, very long answer potentially yes. to that question. But uh, but I did. I had the honor to to serve for eight years in active duty, two years in the guard, um, back in 1993 until 2001, and uh, and I had come out of the ROTC program at Duke University, and uh, and aviation had always been an interest of mine since I had grown up in Alaska, which is where the largest mm -hmm. concentration of small you know small planes and and private aviation is. Uh, but then I had a chance as well to work with the National Guard for so the 130th out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and was part of that aviation unit for a couple of years while I was still in college. And so the aviation world was was definitely of interest. And I I always had this feeling, you know, when you're when you're 20 years old or 21 years old, that if you're going to going to serve your country, you may as well do it doing the, the hardest and the coolest thing that you can find. And um, and aviation was definitely that. It was, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up with a family that was very supportive and uh, and told me I could do whatever I wanted to do. It was definitely eye-opening to, to go into an environment where um, there were people who were also very supportive and, and were phenomenal to work with. Some of the best people I've ever known in my life. And there were others that were... Um, Less excited uh, to have Lieutenant Huffman show up when she was 23 years old as the only female out of 120 male combat pilots. <laughs> so, so though no, there were some very real challenges that came with that, and and you know some of it looking back was part of just being a young person, young officer, a young lieutenant coming into any sort of a, a role, and and all lieutenants go through some of those challenges of, of learning uh, to get their feet on the ground, but. There was definitely resistance in in ways that I had not experienced before in my life. And I was, I guess, fortunate about that in some ways. And in other ways, I had to, to grow up really quickly. When did you realize, uh, now, when you started ROTC, was there the option to be an Apache helicopter pilot? Or when did you find out no. that there would be a likelihood that you could apply to that program? Well, yeah, it wasn't actually ever in my mind. And it wasn't because I started college in 1989 and and the combat exclusion clause wasn't lifted until 1993. And so right before graduation is when that clause was finally uh, lifted and, uh, and, and attack aviation became open to women. And mm. honestly, it, it, it hadn't, it hadn't struck me as an opportunity or even as something that I was considering because it it was simply not open. Um, but I, when I went to get my assignment for the years ahead in North Carolina from the state aviation officer, I was still just a cadet. I was still just a, a college student. I remember the state aviation officer interrupting me just a few sentences in to our conversation and looking at me and saying, you realize you will never fly an attack aircraft. Mm. And I think um, there was a part <laughs> of me that was just... I mean, I recognized his comment at the time because at the time it wasn't it wasn't open yeah. at all. Um, but I think that probably was what made me <laughs> be interested in the first place. And so that was a, a spark that then turned into a flame once once that uh, combat exclusion was lifted. Wow. And so why Apaches? Was that something that um, 
really appealed to you? Was it like the alpha, like the top, the top, you know, tier kind of aviation role that you could get into? Is 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 that in your like, look, if I'm going to do it, I might as well be the best and do the, the most yes. difficult. I, I mean, yes, yes, yes and no. I think there, from the aviation perspective, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I mean, you fly more if you fly in lift or support, right? Because it doesn't break as much. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I remember going to flight school actually, and one of the cadre in flight school, as we were making our selections or our, or putting in our our, our um, choices, said sat me down and talked about his experience. And I remember him talking about taking off in a battalion formation. And all of the crew chiefs lined up on the hangar. And of course, you know, you, you, there's only two seats in the Apache. So the crew chiefs don't get to fly, which is, which is a whole different sort of a dynamic. And so they were all lined up against the hangar, watching these Apaches take off and talking about just the pride that, that the crew chiefs were feeling, that he was feeling as a, as a pilot. And, and I think that that conversation with that cadre was really what helped turn me towards Apaches. And I also had the feeling because, of course, 1993 was the, the first desert uh, war, right? That um, if you're going to be at, at war, you may as well be able to shoot back. And um, that yeah. seemed seemed like a wise opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, um, sure. And yeah, most lethal <laughs> helicopter out there for sure. You know, I was interesting. I, I had a guest on, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Treese, who was one of the first female uh, submarine officers. So, and I had a chance to interview her. And it was interesting because what I learned through her experience, because I don't know much about helicopters, but I know a lot about submarines. What I learned through her experience is she had to do everything I had to do, right? She had to, she, I mean, from from a from nuclear power studying to, to submarine school to prototype, she had to do everything I had to do. And then she had to show up to a ship that had never really seen women before. And so it was like, uh, so, so she had a, the difficulty that I went through, which was very difficult, plus the idea of going into this male dominated world and being one of the first females on board. What was that experience for you like that? Were you, cause you, this was definitely a male dominated area, right? It, it was. And it was interesting too, because, you know, I had grown up again, I grew up in Alaska. I had had a chance in college to climb Denali, um, as part of a rotary climb, which was a phenomenal experience. I had earned my advanced, you know, the skydiving certificate. So I was used to hanging out with guys. I've always hung out with guys. That was not in and of itself an issue at all. But but those are also guys that don't have an issue with you being there. And so I think that was the, really the the challenge. And what was helpful for me many years later, and I'm answering your question kind of by coming in from <laughs> writing the book, The Grip Factor, was to go back and do the research and start to put words and articulate and define what that experience was like. And, and you know, there's a, a, a term that uh, Stanford law professor Deborah Rhodes uses called the double crucible. And mm -hmm. it's that these women, all of us that are women that have gone through these experiences, like you said, need to be on par with or better than the men that they're serving with in in their technical abilities. And they need to be able to, at the same time, every day show up in an environment which may or may not support their their being there. And um, and so that was a helpful thing to be able to put some definition around to see the research that had been done around that, because that is what it felt like. And, and again, this is in retrospect, I think in the midst of it, it felt like grit, right? I was like, okay, this is the term that we use showing up. This is grit. Like you show up and you do your best and you get through it and you get through it and and you make sure there's nothing anybody can say, right? Because yeah. you're going to be excellent at what you do. And uh, and then looking back, realizing what that, the, the fatigue that sets in when it's every day, you're kind of armoring yourself against 
certain things that uh, that probably shouldn't be part of a work environment. And yeah. and I think yeah. that um, takes its toll, honestly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know uh, Stephanie told me a story. It's like she walked down a hallway on on the boat. And, and and some of the enlisted guys didn't know how to react to a woman on board. So they brace up against the bulkhead. And she's like, you don't have to do that. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> and she's like, I'm like, and I was thinking to myself, like, I've never had to deal with that end of it. And I'm sure there's many other stories she didn't tell me, but that kind of the, the idea of like, you know, the environment wasn't ready or used to it or they wasn't, they weren't fully prepared for this. It just, it was new. Right. And so yes. everyone didn't know how to react. I mean, I, when I served on submarines, it was an all male crew. We didn't have any. Sure. So, so that, that would, it's a novelty. It was new. It was like, okay, how do we deal with this now? And uh, she was part of that early group that went on board the boats. And so, yeah, I can, through her story, I can picture the similar thing where you're showing up and like, you're the only woman in the in in the room, you know, and and so right. it's it's it does it does add like you said a double crucible. It's actually twice as difficult because you're overcoming the difficult technical challenges of learning how to fly like this advanced helicopter, and then being you know a groundbreaker, you know, in terms of uh, being being one of the early females doing this. So unbelievable. Uh, well, you talked about grit and and your books about grit. Before we dive in the book, um, what how how do you define grit? How do you think of it? Yeah, I, I've always thought of it as this dogged determination and, mm. uh, and the the, the non-sexy stuff, right? The dogged determination in the face of difficult circumstances. And that's how I find it. And Angela Duckworth, of course, is the researcher at University of Pennsylvania. She's called it passion and perseverance towards a very long-term goal. And I think sometimes there's a very long-term goal in sight. Uh, I think over the last few years for all, most of us, the horizon has been a bit more murky. And, uh, mm. and so sometimes yeah. that long-term goal goes in and out of you. Um, and sometimes a passion comes in and out as well, right? And so there is a doggedness and a determination that is just has to be part of what grit is. But I also think, and I know we're going to get to this in just a moment, that the grit is not this finite thing that we pull off the shelf for mile 23 of the marathon or for your your heavy lifting days. I've seen you, your, your pictures there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <When> you're... <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, but it's also, it's part of of who we are and it's much more part of a, a, a holistic sense of, of of each and every person. And so I know we're going to get into the, the different parts of that, but I think that's an important thing because there's a lot of kind of a blowback on grit right now. Like, oh my gosh, it's enough. Like we've gone through enough. We can't just deal with it anymore. We've got to change systems. And th that's all true as as well. But to understand it a little bit more holistically, I think is really helpful for all of us. Okay, let, let, let's, we're going to dive into that. So the book is uh, called <laughs> The Grit Factor, which I love. Um, what inspired you to put pen to paper and and tell your story? But I don't, not only your story, but you introduce a lot of other women that went through similar type of, uh, I would say, groundbreaking kind of uh, uh, efforts in there and and had to use grit through their their whole stories too. So what what led you to write the book? Yeah, I, a couple of things, but the primary thing was a young lieutenant reaching out. And and actually it came uh, on the heels of the integration of women into submarines because I was asked to join this online kind of mentorship group for women integrating into submarines because I had been part of an integration as well. And, and it turns out none of the women in submarines wanted to talk to an army aviator, I guess. So I, I never heard from them. But I did then hear from another army aviator who was just starting her journey as well. So she was heading down to Fort Rucker to become an aviation you know, pilot and a leader. And she asked if I would be her mentor online. And I said, of course. And, you know, we we didn't exchange a, a huge number of emails, but because of her request, 
my initial response was, of course, I'd, I'd love to do this. And then I thought, wow, well, wait a minute. I've been out for a while. You know, I went through business school. I've been working in the corporate world for a while. Now I, I wrote my first book, which is called North of Hope. And now, um, you know, it's been a while since I've been in. And I had I was part of this early integration. So that's a lot different. And And surely I need to find a way to scale the advice that I offer to this young leader. Because mm-hmm. I was... a. I, you know, I got out as no three. You're 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 much more senior than I am, and people have had a lot more experience, and people have had many different experiences depending on who they were and what the circumstances were. And so I started a project of just just a blog, like I called it the, the Grit Project, and I started reaching out to people who would connect me with people, and then I tried to start varying the services and varying the ranks and the different experiences. And I ended up talking to general officers from across the services, you know, a a Coast Guard, one of the first combat rescue swimmers, one of the first women Army Rangers, and many, many, many more. Actually, one of the first women uh, uh, submariners as well. Submariners, sorry. Submariners, yes. (laughs) Sorry. We're funny about that. I don't know why we are, but we are very funny about that. (laughs) So you should, I understand that that's a a faux pas there, so I apologize. But, But 201, you know, people, I think women don't often share their stories because we are conditioned to be more modest in some ways and uh, that we shouldn't talk too much about ourselves. And and actually, from the military perspective, it's hard to talk about yourself. You have to get over this, the we, and get to the sharing your story, right? Mm. And and it's only when it starts to become obvious that there is value in sharing your story for other people that it became evident to me that I needed to do this work. I've always been a writer. I've always loved to write. I still love to write. It's It's really where I think that I'm called to kind of be in the world and show up in the world among other places. And and so I started to do this blog and then realized after I, you know, had several dozens of interviews, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing material. It's just the stories, it's the lessons learned. How can I go back and do the secondary research and try to pull all of this together and say, what do all of these experiences share in common? What can we learn from a cohort of leaders that are all vanguards in their fields? They happen to be women. They happen to be military. But this is not a book just for women or just for military, right? This is a book for for leaders. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they're lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutrition, habits and more to the next level with his step-by-step all-inclusive coaching program. Now I've worked with Jeremy for the past year and I'm in the best shape of my life. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at apexperformancesystems.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Each flag is hand-built and each star on the flag is hand-hammered and chiseled. No two flags are alike. 
They offer a variety of flag designs to honor the police, military, firefighters, dispatchers, and search and rescue personnel, to name a few. These stunning handmade flags look great in an office, a studio, the back porch, or above the fireplace mantle. They make the perfect gift for the veteran, first responder, or patriot in your life. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I was a customer long before they became a sponsor of the show. I can't recommend them enough. So if you're looking for that perfect, uniquely American-made gift to give away, or if you want to treat yourself, go to sasquatchflags.com and get your order in today. I love how just like a spark can can create a flame, and 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 that's you know as I've had a lot of guests on the show, a lot of authors, first time authors, and they'll say, yeah, just something will spark their, you know, they're like, you know, people want to hear this story. I need to write this story. I need to tell this story. So I'm, you know, my hats off to you to, you know, to not ignore the spark, but actually do something with it because I think it's really important to share these experiences for the next generation, the next group of people that are going to be going through these similar type of. Uh, double crucible moments for, for sure. Um, could you maybe tell us uh, maybe an example of maybe one or more of the of the the people that were in your book and maybe maybe some aha moments from their stories that that were like, oh, that's very similar to mine, but this is this is this is really unique. Anything that they really stood out? My gosh, there are so many that stand out in so many ways. There are there are fighter pilots and infantry officers, and of course our our submariner. There we go. Um, but yeah, I would say um, there are things that are that they share in common, and that is part of what I now call the grit triad. But the specific moments, yeah, there there are there are so many of them. I guess one of them that I'd love to bring up is Erin McShane, and she was also one of the first women Army Rangers. Not the I think she was maybe, I don't know, the 10th or something anyway, in that that first group of incredibly tough, tough young women. And uh, and then she also went to sapper school as well, which is the advanced kind of year training. And she felt almost more proud of her sapper experience. But she talked about going out during ranger school and failing one of the patrols. And mm. she, you know, she was carrying the heavy weapons and she was doing what, you know, do, doing her best. And, and she failed one of the patrols. And she realized that, you know, what, what it was that she needed to learn through that process. But then she, she said, she talked to a mentor later. And I just love this because we, most of us who really push ourselves hard can really deeply internalize failures, right. And, and overthink them. <laughs> uh, and, and to the point where it could be really detrimental. And she said that the mentor told her words that, um, that now I will never forget either, which is that failure is not a reflection of the person it's a reflection of the methods that were chosen. Mm. And that that, in a way, releases you to do the work, to do it differently and better the next time. And I thought that was really, really a helpful perspective, especially if you can imagine people in the midst of, you know, days and days of no sleep and and barely eating and going going through the woods with a heavy pack and, and all that goes with that. And then failing in the midst of that and then realizing, okay, this is not about me. This is about what I did. It's about what I chose yeah, to do. So yeah. I can choose to do something differently next time. And I think that was a really helpful um, helpful perspective and helpful lesson. I can give you a bunch more, but... Um, but that's <laughs> no, but I like that. And I like the story of failure. We talk about that on the show a lot. It just is how, you know, failure is a, such a great and powerful teaching tool that, you know, it's 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 visceral, it's emotional, right? You don't want that to happen again. So it's, it's like you learn quickly, like, well, I'm sure... It, learning how to fly a helicopter, an advanced piece of equipment like that, you make mistakes and you learn. And, uh, and, and when you do make those mistakes, it's, it's, it's deep. Like, you know, we, I made a lot of mistakes learning how to be an officer of the deck of, of this, you know, massive submarine. 
And, right. you know, and every time I would make a mistake and I would learn the right way to do it, it was, it's embedded in me now. I'm never going to do that again because I don't want that feeling again, you know? And so failure is sometimes a great and powerful teacher for sure. Absolutely. And you can't let it eat away at who you are, right? You have to use yeah. that to launch yourself in the direction that that that, that then brings you forward. So right, I think that's right. a really helpful thing. Yeah. Power the best. other piece that is, it was really, really helpful and I, I can refer to regularly was... Um, a, a, a Don Dunlop, who's an Air Force general. She's a test pilot. She's a test pilot in literally every single aircraft in the inventory. And we talked about, gosh, so many things. But um, but one of the things that we really got into that ended up then introducing me to somebody else that was one of her mentors was, was the idea of mentorship and the importance mm-hmm. of not assigning like a woman to another woman necessarily, right? That you that mentorship has to have some sort of a chemistry. And so mm-hmm. she ended up as a White House fellow being assigned to another woman officer where there was just, they had they had nothing in common. And then she met somebody that you probably may know, Marsh Carter, who now works at MIT. He's mentored yeah. a lot of, lot of military people. And Marsh Carter and she both loved aviation. Marsh was also a pilot. And so they just sort of clicked and, and he really became her mentor. And I think that's a really important thing to understand that that mentorship is important, that you need mentors that don't look like you, right? Mm-hmm. For for many, many reasons. And that mentorship also is this reciprocal sort of a relationship. And so I talk about that a lot when people ask about building your team and building and finding that mentor, that it's a little bit more nuanced than I think we often give it credit for being. Yeah, I agree. And I think chemistry is a big part of it. And, you know, I think you know, I've been a mentor, I've been a mentee, and and the times where you find the one that's got the right chemistry, it's it's that perfect moment, you know. And I think that's that you you know, if you if it's forced, sometimes it doesn't work. So I think you're right, and and it may that person may not look like you, may not have have a similar path, uh, but you know, just having some, but it's so critical to have somebody there that you can bounce ideas off, especially as a leader, when a lot of times in an organization you are it. You know, like I ran my first manufacturing plant at 32 years old. I was it. I was in charge of all these people. And I had no one in the building that was my peer, except one man who happened to work in strategic. Uh, he did elect the strategic projects like um, like they would do acquisitions and what have you. But he was he he didn't work for me. He was the only person in the shop, that the, the plant that didn't work for me. And I asked yeah. him, I said, will you will you mentor me? Because I need somebody I can talk to in this building that yes. doesn't work for me because I, I'm a lone wolf here. Like I have no, I have no peers here, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and that was so valuable for me as an early leader with my first manufacturing plant, having someone I could talk to that didn't work for me. It wasn't in my chain of command, but, but could give me wisdom and to help me think through things. And it was very, very valuable. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a, well, that's a wonderful story. And, and it's so important and it can be hard to find, right? But at the same time, yeah. when you're, the one in charge, that's also a very lonely place to be, yes. especially when you have to make hard decisions and, and things get tricky and get a little uh, difficult. It's it's a very lonely place to be. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's dive into grit a little bit. I mean, obviously, grit is an important factor in success. It was certainly important in the things that you did. You know, we didn't talk about it, but you've, you've, you know, a little bit, but, but mountaineering, you know, like climbing, you know, all these, all these mountains, Denali. I mean, I've been to Alaska once and I was one of the, one of the people that get there and never see the, the peak because it was covered in oh. clouds the whole time, you know? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, but, it's, uh, I'm it is. <laughs> but you've climbed it, you know, and, and you've been through these difficult things. So like, 
how do how do you find grit? I mean, how do how does ordinary how do ordinary people that are going up into something difficult, how do they where do they find the grit? I mean, how did you find it? And then where do other people find it? Yeah, I I feel like there I think there are many different approaches to this. And I think it's um it's interesting because as I did my interviews for the grit factor, one of the questions I would ask is can you develop this? Is this something that you just have? You know, what do you think? And most people agree that that this is something that you can both find within yourself and develop. And I I believe that completely. I don't think grit is just for you know military pilots and big mountain climbers. It's it's for or or or, <laughs> or I'm going to say this wrong, but so submariners, right? For yes, for all yes. of us <laughs> have it. That's because we've had to find it. But I think it's something that's available to each and every single one of us. And. Mm. I developed as I went through all of these interviews, did the secondary research as well, developed something that I call the grit triad. And yeah. it's on commit, learn, and launch, right? So it's the first part is really owning your past. And it is uh it's it's owning your story and it's drilling down and connecting to tethering yourself to a core purpose. So that's the first mm-hmm. leg of it. And that is that doesn't mean that you are uh buffeted by your past. That means you do the work to say, Here's the raw material of my past. Now I have both the opportunity and the responsibility to shape that raw material in the direction that I want to go. Mm. And that is what owning your story is about. It's not just about there's there's no victimhood in that. There's no right. it's saying this is my story and this is how I'm going to write my story going forward. And um, and then there's the drilling down to core purpose. I know we're going to get more to, into that as well, but that's the foundation I think of grit and resilience. The second part of it, the second part of that triangle is the learn side. And that learn side is a deep engagement in the present. Every single person I interviewed talked about the team, right? So none of us do it alone, whether that is a a spouse or a partner or a best friend and and an intimate. It's also usually a colleague of some somewhere, maybe not on the manufacturing floor necessarily, but somewhere, um, possibly a mentor. But there's a team that you can depend on and that you build and depend on. The second part is the art and science of active listening, which is the most critical leadership skill. Every single general officer brought this this up as, and this was actually the most unexpected part for me, to be honest. Yeah. And then finally, on that last, that second leg is mindset. And mindset, I think about both growth mindset, somewhat broadly, as well as the stress mindset, and also this this measured optimism or this um, this uh, grounded optimism. And then finally, that third leg is grounded in the past. It's deeply engaged in the present and it's looking towards the future with audacity, the willingness to take risks and to face failure, uh, with authenticity, the willingness to show up and be who you are uh, and lead as who you are, which is, I will say, very difficult as somebody that minority in a majority sort of a place. And then finally, adaptability and being able to adapt to changing circumstances. So that's that commit, learn and launch. It's past, present, future. And I really think of building grit as going through that triad, really starting mm. out with that story and purpose, building that team, and then doing the work to develop that mindset, and then you can go into that launch phase. I love that. I love and 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 I and I like how you've laid it out. You, you one of the things you mentioned is is purpose, and I think it, purpose plays a big part of it. And and how how do you find your purpose? Say this, you you know, and and we've talked about this on. I have a guest on the show where we talk about. You have like I had a purpose when I joined the military, right? right. And but when right. I got out, I lost it. I, I came into corporate world and I and for seven years I didn't know really what I wanted to do when I grew up because I had I had achieved all my goals as a 20-year-old, you know, then what yes. do you do for an encore, right? Very yes. difficult. So if if people are listening in and they're saying, Well, I don't know my purpose, how do how do they even, you know, find the find their purpose and what in and what they want to 
you know, go after with, with, with this audacity, as, as you call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it is, um, th- this is, I think, m- maybe, maybe the most critical thing next to mindset. And together, actually, there's a purpose mindset, which is a whole other way of thinking about them, them both. But I agree, many veterans especially, but actually anybody leaving any kind of a really insular environment and then moving to something else, or maybe going through a major life change with death or divorce or or being yeah. laid off. And then there's a lot of people that can relate to, to all of these, I know. And your sense of purpose can can really, really um, almost disappear. And I think that is uh, become such an important thing that I've developed an entire course just around purpose because, especially during the COVID, during the pandemic, that was the place where people were, were, were away from the jobs that they knew. They were away from their routines, right? And the McKinsey studies that were done around the pandemic were really clear that the lack of connection to personal purpose, right? Not the organizational purpose right. that comes second, but the lack of connection to personal purpose really results in problems with performance and with engagement and with longevity and all of those factors. And so that connection to personal purpose is both a critical thing for us to do and also for our organizations to do, of, of course, and, and hence your question. So I start Paths to Purpose with basically chapter one of the grit factor, which is owning your story. There's there's multiple tactical exercises around that. And then we go into purpose. And Paths to Purpose blows this out. But where I recommend people start is with, with what you know probably from manufacturing is called the five whys. And this is something that Toyota right? Of course, engineered to be able to drill down into the root cause of deficiencies. And it's asking why not one time, but five times. And, you know, I give this example of um, being in the operation shop, which was my very first assignment as a lieutenant. I wanted that flight platoon. You need that flight platoon to be able to either demonstrate leadership and or learn leadership, right? Both <laughs> both eight. And, uh, and I was assigned to this back office staff position. And I you know, I I, th- I will say I, I felt like it was probably unfair. It was probably because I was a woman. I, I and it's, that that may or may not have been the case. Um, but um, but you know, there was a year on staff sitting in the back corner of a windowless hangar, starting to type up operations orders or the appendices to operations orders, like at six o'clock at night when everybody else went home for a year. And I wasn't doing much flying. I wasn't do- and I had no control over the circumstance, right? And so, how do you find in the midst of a circumstance that you don't have control over, you don't have any input into really at all. Um, well, how do you find that purpose? And I think about, okay, what if you ask yourself in that circumstance, the five whys? Why was I there? Well, I was there to fly and fight the Apache helicopter, right? Why I was trained to do so. Why I had asked for, I had earned that opportunity. Why I wanted to serve my country. That's pretty good, right? But you have to force yourself to drill down to that fifth level why or deeper. And here's the key. Here's Here's the criteria. The why that you arrive at for your purpose needs to be agnostic of the organization and agnostic of the specific yeah. job. Yeah. It has to be completely agnostic. So I wanted to serve, right? I, I My purpose was to serve. I'd been brought up to serve and making food for the homeless through our church and, and delivering food on Christmas Eve with my father. And, and so those sorts of things teach you those values and, and that sense of, of who I was. So who I was was about service. And when you can tether yourself to that purpose, you can get through any kind of turbulence that comes your way. Mm, because you yeah. keep returning, making sure that you're making decisions connected to that purpose. And you'll you'll eventually find your way into that place that you're meant to be. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. And it takes, yeah. I think, a lot of introspective work. And then it takes some faith moving forward, still tethered to that purpose, 
that if you remain tethered to that purpose and keep taking steps forward, you're going to ultimately end up where you need to be. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the other thing is you're willing, you're you're able to put up with a lot of grief along the way, you know, a lot of yes. mundane work. I mean, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my company seven years ago. There's a lot of mundane things that go into entrepreneurship that nobody talks about, <laughs> right? And exactly. so, you know, I... I have to do a lot of paperwork and I hate paperwork. I just want, you know, I want to go sell. I want to develop products. I want to grow. But there's a lot of mundane things. But if you're thinking about my purpose and why I'm here and what I want to get done, uh, yes. you know, it'll help you get through those tough times, those boring times, those, uh, you know, like you were saying, typing up orders at six in the afternoon when you really don't want to be there. Uh, if you keep focused on what your purpose is, then I think it makes it easier to get through some of the uh, the drudgery of of what you're what's what you're facing, you know. Absolutely no, and it, it's critically important. And this idea of uh, there's a guy named Aaron Hurst, and I quote his book, The Purpose Economy, in the Grit Factor, and he's continuing to do work around purpose, and right now bringing this concept of the purpose mindset into schools, which I am also now including in, in the courses that I run through the Grit Institute. And the purpose mindset, I think the other idea of purpose is it gets you out of yourself. Like, I think we can make ourselves crazy with the navel gazing sometimes, right? And there's a little yeah. too much put on this, who we, who we, I mean, you're, who you are is important, but like at the end of the day, your identity is not, is not the end. The, your identity serves a greater purpose or we are going to continue to be in this mental health crisis, right? And I think yeah. part of this needs to be connecting to something bigger than ourselves. Yes. So that perfect work is just critically important. And it is also what the world needs from all of us. Mm, absolutely. That was such, so, so important, so important. Um, well, I mean, you know, is, is our listeners are listening in and they're, they're, they're getting excited about this stuff. Uh, how, how would they... Where would you recommend they what they do to get started to thinking about, you know, I, I like the the grit triad, uh, you know, thinking about purpose, thinking about their story. Uh, how do you recommend they get started? Yeah, well, you can, uh, as just an easy start, you can go on to uh, thegritinstitute.com forward slash manifesto and do download your free grit manifesto. That's sort of a fun way to get started. And of course, the grit factor will bring you deeper into all of this, which is available anywhere that books are sold. And so, uh, I'm online at shannonpulson.com as well, and uh, a little bit on Instagram and a lot more on LinkedIn. So I'd love to see any of those places. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Well, th you know, I think this has been a powerful conversation. I think, uh, you know, leaders, as you're listening into this and you're thinking, wow, do I really have a purpose? Do, you know, do, am I suffering through the, the drudgery of my job? Do I not like what I'm doing right now? Do I have a purpose? Do I have a North Star that's driving me and helping me guide me? Uh, if you don't have that or you're struggling, this these are great resources. We're going to put links in the show notes for uh, all of Shannon's resources. Uh, and I highly recommend you pick up this book. I highly recommend you go to her website. A lot of great resources on that website. I've been through it. Uh, fantastic. And it'll really help you get your focus, learn what grit is, and learn how to develop your own personal grit to be able to achieve all the goals that you want in your career and in your life. So, uh, Shannon, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. this is such an important topic. Well, it's a real pleasure, John. I've, uh, I'm a longtime fan of yours, so I really appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Reddy saying, take care and lead well.
Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.